Lord, we do ask that you would help us as we turn to the scripture to understand what you're saying to us and how we should respond. Uh, help us to truly hear your voice today above everything else. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, if you'd like a Bible, you may want to um, look at one today. We'll, at, at, we're going to look at the full chapter of 1 John chapter 1 at some point. So just raise your hand and someone will gladly put uh, a Bible in your hand uh, this morning. Yeah. So um, I've had a, a variety of uh, jobs in my life. Um, the, I'm very, very thankful that my parents uh, helped pay my car insurance while I was in college, but uh, they didn't pay anything else, and I'm not a scholarship kid. So that meant jobs and multiple jobs through college uh, so that I could have it paid off as well as the various aspects of our wedding as Rebecca and I got uh, married three months after graduation. And so in less than a year, I had no debt, and that was like an amazing thing, right? Well, that meant working a lot of hours, um, and one of the things, maybe the, the thing that seemed to fit the most, uh, it was definitely a better fit for me than the various manual labor construction jobs I had, which I did have those, um, was selling carpet. Uh, really, you could say that I paid my way through college by selling carpet. And I, I worked at a few different spots, partially because uh, we knew a couple guys that owned four stores that were, were really different from each other. So I worked in a really fancy uh, showroom that was by appointment only that was really for wealthy people and then I worked in a warehouse that was kind of like the opposite of that was mainly for contractors and uh, people that own you know, rental properties and things of that nature where we cut the carpet right there on the spot. Why on earth am I explaining this detail? I know you're wondering so I'll tell you. Um, so I, one of the things that I did, I already heard a groan today so I'll, I'll try to go easy on the repeated humor. One of the things that I did is uh, drive a forklift. And when you move carpet with a forklift, there's a kind of a long stick on the end we call a stinger that picks up the carpet roll and you move it around and uh, the, move it around the warehouse. And so there's, you know, shelves in this warehouse four high uh, of rolls of carpet. And um, what happens with any job, I think, for me, is that when you do something over and over and over, um, you in you have to do work like you're not just paid by the hour kind of a thing. You um, you tend to go quick. I'm starting to sound more and more like I'm making excuses for myself. That's because there was a day where I had an accident with the forklift and a roll of carpet. Um, the warehouse was taller than this room that we're standing in right now, and uh, when you worked on the top shelf. Uh, there was a beam in the middle of the warehouse that you would get pretty close to when you were maneuvering a roll of carpet into the top shelf. And one day I just got in too much of a hurry and all of a sudden I felt like the earthquake and splinters raining down on me and I suddenly realized that the forklift was up like this because the top that was holding the roll of carpet, I had backed it into the beam uh, coming out of the, the ceiling. And so... Uh, splinters, if you will, of wood from the beam are raining down on me, and uh, you know, suddenly, like I get the the forklift settled, and now hydraulic fluid is spraying down on me because I broke a valve for the hydraulic fluid um, on the pop and on the top, um, and it I get the the carpet uh, roll lowered down, and my adrenaline is kicking, my heart is pounding. I messed up. I messed up. Today, that's what I want to talk about. 
What do I do when I mess up? Now, here's why this is not an uncomfortable topic for me. Because I've messed up a lot, and because I believe that God loves us. I believe that God is this amazing, unfailing, doesn't give up on us, safety net, that that in God we have peace and we can have hope and we can have joy and we can we can have a sense of adventure in life oh monica's birthday tomorrow we just celebrated this (laughs) just wanted to say hi um i believe that in god we 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 shouldn't be afraid of messing up is that fair I, i i think that god has an answer for when we mess up And that God loves us. And the closer we get to God, the more assured of that we can become. And the less we can live worried and afraid. Um, Am I making any sense? Okay. I have more stories about messing up, but I think I'm going to just continue. We're going to turn to to 1 John chapter 1, or as our British friends say, 1 John 1. But I want to start off with a simple verse and talk about this a little bit before we read the larger context. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, which I would recommend as a memory verse for the week, if you will. Uh, This would be a great one for you to memorize and to just kind of get into your system. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. Can you say amen to God's word? Amen just means I agree. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. Now, I know that 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 word sin, let's just talk about that just real quick. Um, Because it it may uh, feel kind of dark and twisty. And let's make sure that we understand uh, what we're talking about. Uh, my son and I uh, this week were watching a little bit of Mr. Bean, which I know is not everybody's uh, cup of tea, but <laughs> Mr. Bean goes on holiday and has a stay at a hotel and ends up in a compromising position on, on accident and is holding an out-of-order sign um, to cover his nakedness. And it's really funny. Uh, it's really funny, really humorous, but it just kind of emblazons that out-of-order sign into your memory, you know, and... Um, out of order is a way to describe uh, sin in our lives and in our relationship with God. And not out of order in a way like a judge saying, you're out of order, but in a relationship sort of way, or um, a little bit similar to the way in the medical profession they refer to disorders or mental health uh, practices, a disorder, being out of order, a disorder, or let's just say in an unhealthy state of being. Um, if we were to break down the word sin in the scripture, we would come away with a couple of different types. One where I have sinned by not doing the, the right thing. I didn't do the, or say or think or love or feel the right thing. That's a sin of omission or a sin of commission where I have done or said uh, or in my heart there is something that is actively wrong. That's out of order. And, and it's, I think, very helpful to understand all that we get from scripture, i.e. God, about sin to talk about it in terms of relationship. It's when a mistake in your life, and definitely a repeated mistake, has brought your relationship to a state of disorder. 
You know what I mean? And, and generally speaking, we know when that's happened and in relationships. And, and uh, uh, most of you be aware, in the last couple of years, we've, we've spent at least three Sundays just talking about what we do when that happens in our relationship with each other. And that's not going to be our focus today, but it's out of order, disorder. Something is unhealthy. The relationship is not in right standing. Does that make sense? Uh, so that's that word sin. And in the chapter, we're going to see the word righteousness. And the word righteousness uh, would literally mean when your relationship is healthy or in right standing. We're good, right? We good? Right? So the, your relationship is in right standing or healthy with God and with others. That would be how we would define that word righteousness. Uh, I think it's helpful to unpack those words because if not, it's really easy to just feel like the words of Scripture are judgy. Oh, maybe it was just me. Okay, so what do, what do we do when we mess up? Well, if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. So, quite simply, before we go to the larger context, here's what I would say. Confess, repent, and believe. If we were to study the Scripture together for a full year just on this subject, I think that's a three-part of our response to this, what we should do when we mess up, that we would come away with. And just like the topics that we've had the last two weeks, this is a really easy Sunday to just kind of like, oh yeah, I got that, I understand that, and turn your brain off and think about lunch for the rest of our time together. I would ask you to not do this. Because I believe that this is a really important (coughs) practice, no matter how long you've been walking with God. And what I believe is that residue can build up in your spirit And you can end up carrying around things that God didn't ask you to carry. And be robbed of your joy. And no longer have joy and purity and peace in who you are and in your relationship with God. Because you're carrying around stuff God didn't ask you to carry. Are you with me? Okay, so, and I think that this is, doggone Pastor Ben, you're so simple. Well, I know this may be simple. Why don't you teach us like the, the like adult size stuff? Well, see, here's the thing. When you drive a forklift and you have an accident, you have this emergency action plan in place of what you're supposed to do and in what order, what switches you push and pull. And Daniel and I were having a conversation about something this week and I was just reminded of, by some weird stroke of luck, I've, I've known a couple of uh, fighter pilots. And um, when military train a fighter pilot, they spend more money on training that fighter pilot than they do on the jet. And that's why the ejection seat is really important. It's actually not from this warm, fuzzy, we value human life thing. Military doesn't value human life as much as you might think. Some of our veterans might agree. Uh, but actually, they put more money. It's this calculation. They put more money into the pilot than they have the jet. And so what they do is they train the pilots on an emergency action plan, or EAM, over and over and over, this complicated checklist of multiple things that they need to do if something goes wrong, to the point where it's like physical memory for them. You understand physical memory? Like learning to sh- shoot your free throws. Shaquille O'Neal never got it, right? There's like physical memory. This, And so what I'd like to do is to invite you to get this, what should I do when I mess up? To be like your emergency action plan that is something that you understand so well that when something happens, you do it right away and you can live in more freedom and more peace and more joy. And also... 
for us, in, in, in any topic, just to draw back the window, if you will, on uh, Dr. Oz, the, on any topic that we're discussing, there is application for you personally and application for you as you lead others. So if you understand this very simply and you put into practice on a regular basis, it's going to be a whole lot easier for you to explain it to someone else. Am I making any sense? Yeah. So confess, repent, and believe. And we've, we talk about this on a fairly regular basis in part because I have over the last several years met so many people who said that in all their years of going to church, they never understood the basics of salvation until they came here and how freeing and life-giving it is. To repent is to change your direction. I was moving in this direction, in other words, living based on my thoughts and ideas, my desires, my cravings, living to please myself and based on pretty much what I thought and, you know, kind of what came out from my conversations with friends about what's the best way to live, right? I was going this direction, and now because of Jesus and my belief in Jesus and my desire to be forgiven of my sins and have all that he offers to me based on what he's already accomplished, I turn. I repent, I turn, I change my direction, and now I'm starting to walk in the direction of Jesus. Yeshua, Yamashia, Jesus the Messiah, the sent one, the one who Yahweh sent to us, Yahweh God our creator, and God Yahweh our redeemer, right? So I turn, I change my direction. So I confess, I repent, and I believe. If you look at what Jesus has to say about what, how does salvation work? How does this whole thing, I was destined for hell and just continuing to live in the pile of my own misery, but now instead I'm destined for heaven and I can have joy and I can have peace. Are you with me? This is the basics of what Jesus said. Confess, repent, and believe. Now before we go to John 1, I want to just really quickly lay out for us because I think it needs to be said, what should I not do when I mess up? Number one, on the screen, pretend like nothing happened. <laughs> Boy, that's like my go-to. Oh, I dropped this. I'm just gonna like I was a little kid, dropped a jar of peanut butter in the grocery store. Yeah, just gonna walk over here, dude. So when you mess up, whether it's big or whether it's small, it's not healthy for you. It doesn't help you to pretend like nothing happened. Number two, it doesn't help you or your relationship with God to play the blame game. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It was because of this. It was because of that. Maybe it was, but you still messed up and personal responsibility matters. Um, I have found, unfortunately, that a lot of Christians don't understand that when medical doctors and mental health professionals refer to alcoholism and drug addiction as diseases, they think that that's just eliminating personal responsibility from the patient. And that is actually not true. The, and I don't need to take time to break all this down, but it's because of the definition of a word disease, because it affects primary systems in the body. And, and good doctors and mental health practitioners that deal with alcoholism and drug addiction don't remove personal responsibility from the person. But there is this a, a, a realization that the person is not going to be able to become to a place of good health on their own. And thank God that's what he did when he looked at us. He said, they're not going to be able to fix this on their own. They need salvation and salvation that comes through Jesus. Aren't you glad? Right? So don't play the blame game, even if part of that's true. Number three, don't obsess over it. I've also done that in the past. Man, I messed up now. It's over. It's part of my life. It's in my backpack for the rest of my days. That's how country music started. 
Just, just kidding. I'm just kidding. I know, I know. Some of you are like, hey, well, I'm just over here. Why you got to offend me like that? Okay, number four, uh, what, what, what do I not do when I mess up? Try to fix it on my own. Being a male person, uh, that's like what I want to do. And that's also how I've learned the number of things I can't fix on my own. Number five, and this one is also important, what do I not do when I mess up? Follow the advice of other people who are currently making the same mistake. That seems so obvious and kind of a little bit mean-spirited. But I'm just trying to help you. And what I have found that we do most often is, and and, and listen, y'all, let's just talk about the elephant in the room. You think I don't notice when you don't want to talk to me? (laughs) Come on, let's keep it real. And I'm human too. And I've also had those relationships in my life. I know what he's going to say, so I'm not talking to him about this. Are you with me? Right? Listen, I love you. I'm here to help you, not judge you. Okay? So what we often do when we don't want to talk to the people that we know what they're going to say about our... Are we everybody good? What we tend to do is we talk to the people that are currently making the same mistake. Okay, let's just move on. So I want to, before we go to the full chapter, I just want to look at two of the verses in the context and then we'll read the whole chapter. So if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. Every element of this verse is important and I literally could spend a month just talking on this verse and I think it would be helpful. To go a little bit further, the first two verses of chapter two I think are included in the same thought. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, Yeshua Yamashiach, the one who is truly righteous. There's that word. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the world. This is the good news, ladies and gentlemen. Isn't this good? Okay, so as predicted, I'm going to read the chapter, okay? So, um, this is John that's writing, and this is like an open letter. We proclaim to you the one. Now, this translation needs a little bit of help because Greek is really different than English. He's saying that in my letter, I'm holding up something for you to look at, and that something is the one, Jesus, Okay? That's what he's saying. I'm holding this up. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning. Does that sound familiar? John 1 starts the same way. In the beginning, right, was the word. Who existed from the beginning, whom whom we have had... I'm getting audio schizophrenia. I'm not even sure where it's... Somebody watching TV or... Okay, sorry. Forgive me for being distracted by myself. Okay. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning whom we have heard and seen. John's saying, we heard his voice, we saw him with our own eyes. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father and then he was revealed to us. 
We proclaim to you that we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. Now, in the Greek, that passage is more complex than you're going to be able to get unpacked in just easy English. But a part of what he's talking about here is so that a joy that we share will grow and grow and grow on the inside of you until that joy becomes like a guiding principle, like something that you're recognized by, like something that people just expect when you walk into a room. That that joy would be made complete, that it would grow to a state of maturity is how we might translate that. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. My children, my dear children, which was a a phrase that John used often. John was older at this stage. He was an older pastor. And he often, in in scripture and in, in letters that we have outside of the biblical text, would refer to people he was discipling as as children. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. Boy, I'm so thankful for this text. Because in this text, I know what to do when I mess up. And I think that if we take the, the larger context of it, we actually come up with a little bit more than the simple three steps that I gave you at first. And so I'm going to put these on the screen. Um, first, just real quick, I want to talk about the context of this, of this letter because I do think that that's uh, important. So this is John, one of the disciples that's writing. This is the John that was the brother of James. And there's multiple Jameses and multiple Johns in the New Testament. So I know that that gets a little bit confusing. But this is John, the fisherman, who was a brother of James, who Jesus called and said, come, follow me, right? And this is the John who was, uh, what you see if you follow the stories of Jesus and his friends and followers, is that there were times where Jesus would separate or lean into a conversation with Peter, James, and John. So there's these three. They're, they're generally always listed first in the list of 12 names, and they're the ones who were closer to. And this, So this would be John who was leaning on Jesus at the Last Supper. This is John who was in that group of three that was closer. And... Um, that's why what we see in John, the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and First, Second, and Third John, and in the Book of Revelation, what you see is more than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You see John writing about private conversations with Jesus. 
John more than the others. The others focus more on public things and things that happen in bigger groups. But John, John writes more of, of a private perspective of what Jesus is like. And so his words here are, should really mean something to, to us. He's saying, listen, I saw him with my eyes. I heard his voice with my ears. I touched him. I knew him. And that should matter to us. First uh, John is written as an open letter to help people understand that a personal relationship with Jesus leads to true knowledge of God. And that might be a little bit missed on us and is not a, a full part of our topic today, but it was necessary then because there were a group of people called Gnostics that were in the, in the Christian community at that time, um, and they were arguing with this plain, simple truth, this good news that the disciples, the, the apostles, the people that actually spent time one-on-one with Jesus were teaching. This Gnostics were arguing with that. And what they had brought in, they were, they were converts that had come from Judaism and had come from pagan religions. And they were bringing into Christianity um, practices of Judaism and paganism that were not the stuff Jesus talked about. And what they were also doing is they were despising the teaching of the disciples of Jesus, the twelve. The, they were despising them and the people that would follow those teachings. And so they were adding extra stuff. And that is relevant to us today because there are so-called Christian um, authors and teachers and sources of information that are adding stuff on. And and if if I'm ever accused of, of being pretty simple in my teaching, I'm I would rather that than be accused of adding stuff on that Jesus didn't, because the consequences of that are pretty severe. And I'd prefer heaven over hell myself. And um, and there are preachers in the text that go to hell. So, you know, that, that it's relevant, right? You know, so I'm not living in fear, you know what I'm saying? But so there was this argument between these Gnostics, these people that were saying that, hey, we're experts in true knowledge. And John writes this open letter in part, in part to identify, listen, a transformative personal relationship with Jesus should have simple evidence. And that's the theme of this letter. But he is also unfortunately having to say, listen, these guys that are writing this stuff saying they weren't with Jesus. He's having to say on, he's being forced to say publicly in this open letter, I was with him. I heard his words. I saw him, and I'm giving you an account that is true. So he, he's really been forced into saying that, and that's, a, that's an important part of this context. Now, so let's turn to the, the six steps that I have, your emergency action plan, if you will. And you notice that I added something um, first, and, and maybe something that is maybe the most difficult of all the steps. And that is be honest. In fact... Following Jesus, this whole Christianity thing, is more about a state of being than it is about actions or attending an event or being a part of a human organization. It's an inside-out kind of a thing. It's a state of being. And, and whether or not you have been born again, gone through this regeneration, this salvation experience between you and God, really does matter. And what I have found for myself... And for every human that has asked me to help them in some sort of deep way, is that being honest about our state of being is maybe the most challenging thing. Does that make sense? And we see that a lot of this text is like, hey, if you say that you don't have sin, you're calling God a liar. And you're not walking in God. And 
earlier in this year, we talked about Psalm 139, and we talked about a search me, O God, kind of prayer. It's really healthy to set checkpoints in your calendar where you're not making effort to be a Christian, but instead you're reflecting. Read Psalm 139 and just have an open time with the Holy Spirit and say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. See if there's any wicked in me. Being honest with ourselves, I find, is maybe the most difficult thing. And we can, I could talk for a long time about that, and we don't have enough time today to do so adequately, because we can go different ways. We can beat up on ourselves too much. We can obsess on things. Um, we can pretend. Or we can just be arrogant and fooled and just think that we got it all together when we don't. And what I have found is that in Scripture and in practice, it's really helpful to develop a few. Hear me on this, please. Hear what I am saying and what I and distinguish it from what I'm not saying. To find a few mature people that are Jesus followers and have life-giving relationship with them so that they can help you with this issue. And they they can help, like, like, hey, yo, you're obsessing on that a little bit. Let's just pray about it. Ask God for God's forgiveness and step to the next thing. Like, you beat yourself up too much. To, to be honest with you, I, I do that as much, if not more, than a lot of other forms of pastoral counsel with people. Because a lot of times, by the time someone's come up to me, it's like they've been stewing over this for so long, they've beat themselves over... God's sad about how much they're beating themselves up. But we do need someone to say, yo, uh, I don't think you can see this for yourself. Uh, maybe you have found what we see in this passage that we can be deceived. I, this, I think, a really important question for Christians is how do you know when you're deceived? If you're deceived, you don't know it. And if, you're, if you live your life so private, not examined by the Scripture and not in open relationship with other mature believers, you don't know when you're deceived. In Jeremiah, God revealed to Jeremiah the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. God said, I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. You don't know if you're deceived, so you need the help of God and, hear me now, a few mature Christians that you're in relationship with that can help you. Or there's a life-giving, a positive, a constructive direction. So we just had this uh, Hallmark-invented Valentine's Day week. Jeez, uh, anyway. You ever, you ever, at some point in your life, like had a Valentine's Day crush and realized that your feelings weren't reliable? I just love the nonverbal reactions in this room. Listen, I have. All right? You, you see that person and you're like, wow, my true, you are my density, my true happiness. With you, every day is awesome. <laughs> They're never going to go wrong. They're never, I'm going to find all my happiness in them and then you crush them with the weight of your expectations. I think it's an important lesson, and this is one that I have, and that's why I have such trusted relationships in my life with people that see right through me that I couldn't even lie to if I tried to say, hey, how am I doing in this area? Like, uh, Help me unpack this. Where am I at? Because I have learned myself that there are times my feelings are not trustworthy. They're not reliable. I shouldn't put my weight on them. 
Don't feel bad about that. Learn from it. Be honest. This is the path to freedom. This is the way that joy can be the guiding principle in your life. That joy can be the kind of thing that's in you that people expect when you walk into the room. This is how it works. I don't want to be honest about myself because I don't like myself. I said to myself, self, I don't like you. Listen, I have felt that way before myself. And I got to be honest with you, my personal salvation walk with God started with the finally getting honest about the stuff I didn't want to get honest about. The sins that I had committed that I, to be honest with you, had just become a part of my identity and I had come to believe would always be a part of me. Now, I've talked about my sins. Let me talk about some of my friends' sins. (laughs) So I've had friends that have had really rough life. And I had one friend in particular who will remain nameless for obvious reasons, who I have permission to talk about this, who just got to a place where telling a lie became something that helped him find comfort. And so he would lie upon lie upon, like a snowball rolling downhill, which was me yesterday, um, where he would just lie for no reason, like it didn't even matter, just be telling a lie. Sometimes a sin becomes so much a part of ourselves that we think it's a part of our identity and that it's never going to be any different. I'm here to tell you today that's not the case. It's not true. There is hope. You can ask God for help. God, help me with this junk. Help me with this stuff. Help me with this thing that seems like it's become a part of my lifestyle and I don't see any hope for. That prayer starts with being honest. I thought that was really good. So, Number two, you see up there, confess, which we've talked about already. Uh, This is a part of something that obviously we talk about in Celebrate Recovery a lot. Um, It's also a part of how Christians develop the practice of doing an inventory, uh, maybe a lifelong moral inventory or a spiritual inventory or even an inventory on the day, where at the end of the day, you get home, you're getting ready to go to bed, and you just pause and you just think, is there something that happened today where I need to confess my wrong? And in Celebrate Recovery, what we counsel you to do is to balance it with the good things. What are the good things that happened today? Where was it like I had something where like, this is good, this is progress. In the past, I would have cussed that person out, and today I just smiled. Now we got to still work on what was going on on the inside of me, but y'all know what I'm saying, right? To balance it out. So at the end of the day, you do a daily inventory where it's a stop and checklist. And listen, if you've got an emergency action plan in place that is like a a physical memory where you can confess it, you can repent it, you can believe in Jesus, then it's life-giving, it's freeing, and it can happen quick. It can happen in a hurry. It can be something where the burden is lifted and you're not carrying it anymore and you are clean and you are in a better place. Confess it. Ask God to clean it all out. Ask God for help. Particularly if you've got something that you're, you're dealing with in your past that is just hard for you to believe that God can forgive it. Now, I know that reaching out for help is really difficult. And so, if you don't want to talk to me, and I'm not offended by that. If you don't want to talk to me, that's okay. I'm, I'm not the best help for everybody. I'm, I'm a grown-up. I understand it, right? You don't want to talk to me and you don't want to take a step into something else. But if what you're dealing with is 
something that just doesn't seem to go away and something that seems a little bit too difficult for you to really get progress on. Uh, let me back up and talk a little bit about perspective. Because if you're in that place, pick up this book off the table and read it. Here's what I believe. Sin is sin. The little ones, the big ones. Sin is sin in this respect that it separates us from God. Now, there are different sins that can have greater or lesser effect on us. Right? Such as a lot of cool uh, flus and colds going around may have a less effect on you than a cancer. Right? So sin is similar to that. There may be certain sins in your life that need different attention. Now, in the same way, in a moment, God can forgive you, God can cleanse you, you can be spiritually free, but your ability to make healthy decisions may be really different on that issue. That's why in Hebrews 12, we get that, that sin that so easily trips us up. There are, you know what I'm talking about? There are some ways that you are in an unhealthy way self-medicate that are more difficult for you than others. Like, I'll give you an example. When I was a teenager, I stole a couple things. The first thing I ever stole was U2's The Joshua Tree. And I have mixed feelings about that event, but it was bad. It was and bad because it was also from a Catholic bookstore. So I think it's even a worse, like, thing, you know, right? So, but once I got past, like, that little, that little time in my life, that little, like, three-month window... From that time to this, like, stealing's not a thing for me. Like, I, I, I have no desire or temptation to steal stuff. I don't, it's just not my thing. Now, I had other things that were a lot more difficult for me. I really enjoyed smoking. I really, I, there was other things for me. But that wasn't one. Are you getting what I'm saying? Like, so, what's important for us to recognize is that certain sins need different attention and you may need some help. And starting with asking God for help is the right way to start. Are you with me? Okay, so confess it, repent. That includes changing your direction. And the scripture has a lot to talk about with this. But what's really helpful for us is if we're being honest, we can recognize if we're actually living our repentance or not. And the scripture talks a whole lot more about repentance as being a lifestyle of choices than just like, hey, God, I'm sorry, I'm going to try not to do that again. Actual repentance is making those choices to not go back there. Okay? So repent, change your direction. And again, it's about direction. It's not about perfection. It's about that process. And are you following Jesus? And asking yourself every day, am I following Jesus? Interact with God. Submit to his will. Allow. I love... I'm running out of time. I love the analogy we see in Scripture of the of pottery. And if you're, you've never seen this done before, you can look it up on YouTube. The way that people make a pitcher or a vase or something out of clay and the shaping that goes on. Ask yourself, am I allowing myself to be shaped by God? Not me, God. That's, that's what repentance is about. And fourth, what we see on the screen, believe. And in the, the, the scripture that we read today is very specific in what we should believe. Believe that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice from our sin. That was chapter 2, verse 1. Believe that Jesus is our advocate, chapter 2 and verse 2. 
That believing on that, you're never going to find freedom if it's just on the inside of you and out of your own strength you're confessing and repenting and trying to make change. You are doomed for failure if you're trying to do this out of your own strength. Believe that Jesus is the answer. That was good, Pastor Ben. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Number five, receive. From chapter one and verse nine, he will. So receive it. Receive it quickly. Even when it's hard to believe. Even when you don't fully understand it. Even when you don't feel the emotion. Believe. Receive that God has forgiven you because of Jesus. Receive it. And receive it quickly. Don't wait to receive it until you fully understand it. That's a trap. Receive it. God loves you. He cares about you. Jesus died for you. What a shame. What a disgrace. What a pain God must feel when we relate to him out of legalism or through works after all he did for us to relate to him through Jesus and his grace. Receive it. He's forgiven you. He's faithful and just because Jesus paid the price. Receive it. Next steps. Ask God and ask the the people in the life-giving relationships that you're in, what are my next steps? What should I do next? God didn't redeem us and put all this just for us to do nothing. And in part, next steps include positive things that are totally unrelated to your mistakes. And next steps also include things to redeem your mistakes and to bring healing and freedom. God wants you to be free from that stuff. And it's possible. Listen, I had my own stuff that I used to believe I would never be free from. And here, let me explain what I mean by that. I used to think that I would never be free from the compulsion to do that wrong again. And I am standing before you today to tell you that God's honest truth is I'm free from that compulsion. I can be tempted in a moment, but I do not have the compulsion to make those mistakes again that I used to have. I want to bring us back Luke 15, right? Just real quick, remind you, we've mentioned it a few times this year. This is how God loves you. He would leave the 99 to pursue the one with his reckless love. He loves you. God saved you because he loves you. I don't have a picture for this last one today, but I just, I I found a story that I really like. John Stewart, not the one you're thinking about, John Stewart was the first ever African American Christian missionary to Native Americans. And I'm part Cherokee and part Euro Mutt, so I love, and my grandfather actually served as a pastor on Native American reservations, so this is dear to my heart. As far as I know, I don't have any African-American in my blood, but there's some Native American. (laughs) Thank you. I saw the laughs I was looking for there. John Stewart is the first ever African-American Christian missionary to Native Americans. He found this kind of hope in Jesus. He was born free in Virginia around 1786, which is why I couldn't find a picture. Um, Loneliness and alcohol made him miserable and caused him to be suicidal. He found hope in Jesus. He confessed his sin, believed in Jesus as his Savior, and received forgiveness. 
John felt compelled to share this good news with the Native American nation, the Wyandots, uh, which are a branch of the Hurons driven south by the Iroquois. Um, once The Wyandots were once a, a thriving people, but they had been reduced to only about 700 people by the time that Stuart arrived at their reservation on the upper Sandusky River in 1816. Matthew Peacock, the first chief of the Wyandots to convert to following Jesus, recalled that when Stuart first came, here's a quote, we treated him ill, we gave him little to eat, and we trampled on him, and were jealous of him for a whole year. After many years of Stuart's ministry, Peacock said that the Wyandots had changed their mind. He, he, the chief wrote this, we were convinced that God had sent him to us. I want to close in prayer. And as I do, I just want to give you an opportunity privately with God to put this emergency action plan, if you will, and I think emergency is not even the best word because it should, should just be a daily thing, right? Something that comes easier to us into practice here and now. If the Holy Spirit's brought something to your attention while we've been looking at this passage that you need to get right with God about, I want you to just... You know, just get right with God um, as we do that. And I know we're at, at our time to end, but I want to give an opportunity for you to pray. And, and if you want prayer from somebody else, I want you to feel free to, you know, raise your hand or ask somebody else to pray with you. But um, you can remain seated. I know often we, you know, we stand at the end, but I just want to close with this prayer and then um, allow us. And if you, you want to uh, fellowship and chat today, why don't we go back towards the refreshment table to do that, just to kind of leave an atmosphere of prayer up here in the front. So as I'm praying, just feel free to um, have a, a time with God. God, I thank you so very much that you saved us because you love us. I thank you so very much that because of Jesus, there is already a way for us to be forgiven, healed, restored, our relationship with you restored. That there is a way for us to be free from our mistakes. That we would be even cleansed. I thank you that you have made a way, that it's done, that it's available. So today, all of us being human, we all have made mistakes and have been in need of this redemption, this forgiveness. So God, we come to you today in the words of Jesus saying, Lord, please forgive us as we forgive those who've harmed us. Lord, we confess where we've gone wrong, the the little thing, the little lie, deception, the one-time mistake, the the thing that we've done a, a handful of times or the handful of times where we've not done the right thing. And God, even the lifestyle of sin, of uh, uh, where our lifestyle is out of order in relationship with you. God, we've done it. It's wrong. Please forgive us. Please forgive us. By your grace, we believe that through Jesus we can be forgiven. We can be cleansed. We can be healed. We can 
have freedom. We can live new in, in relationship with you in purity. We believe that it's possible. By grace, we ask for your help and we make a commitment that we will not make that mistake again. And God, we need your help with that commitment. Would you please help us to live in a healthy relationship with you? Would you help us to live a life, a love relationship with you that's in order? Lord, we thank you for it. We thank you for freedom that comes from you, new life that comes from you. Will you please help us to receive it today, supernaturally as a spiritual thing? Would you help us to reach out to others for help? Help us to know who to reach out to, how? Lord, and help us to see change in our life as we draw on your strength. Thank you for it today, God. We thank you for your great love for us. Would you please help us to also help others in this practice? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being here today, uh, for braving the elements and coming together. Love you guys. It's so good to be together. Um, Again, feel free to uh, spend a little time in prayer up here if you like. Um, God bless you. Have a great week. Grace and peace to you.